Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and very happy to have you on board today. So if you haven't been following us live week by week, I just want to thank all of you listeners because last week's episode uh, was the most listened to episode yet, Uh, and our numbers are going up quite a bit each month, so really appreciate that. That's a testament to all you guys just spreading the word, and I just ask that you continue to do so leave a positive review, tell a friend about the show or what you learned, and uh, that's how we'll kind of keep this thing moving in the right direction. And along those lines, I've noticed that the guest shows certainly have quite a nice listenership and viewership. So please keep suggesting topics that you want to hear about, people that you think would make a a great uh, kind of partnership with our show as far as appearing on as a guest for an interview. Uh, So really, this is kind of your show at the end of the day. That's where we're getting all this content from is your questions. So keep them coming in. Keep leaving a positive review and spread the word. You never know who's uh, looking for some information out there. So what are we going to touch on today? We're going to go a little bit off the beaten path of finance or at least directly involving finance. And as you may recall from the get-go, the emphasis of this show is to explore wealth in its original meaning. And that is a state of well-being. So not everything is going to have to do with dollars and cents, but how do you package together a ultimately healthy, wealthy, exciting, and fruitful lifestyle? And so this is a question that I get probably a few times a week, if not more, and that is, how did you write a book? And so what that speaks to me is there's a lot of people out there that either just want to know or they kind of have that underlying passion that they say, hey, you know, what if... What if I put pen to paper and was able to come up with something? You know, I think I got a couple ideas out there. There happens to be a story that I want to share. So I'm all about that. I've loved writing since I was a kid. And that's what allowed me, obviously, to write a book at one point. But what we're going to talk about today, whether you're directly interested in saying, yes, I wanted to know the roadmap to do it, or if it's just that kind of hidden little voice in the back of your head saying, give it a shot, or if you have no ambition whatsoever to author a book, This really has to do a lot with how do you actually create a brand, create a platform, and then communicate a message that you have. So I'm really excited to kind of share something near and dear to me, and that's ultimately, how did I write the book Millennial Millionaire? Okay, so long story short, when I first started to think about this, it was always an idea of mine, even from when I managed our school newspaper in college, that I wanted to write someday. However, I was taught, you know, quite early that if you want to go directly into journalism or authorship as a sole way of providing for yourself, that that would be an extremely difficult venture, that there's just not a ton of money there until you get to the the very, very, very top of the pack. So it's almost like as if you had played, you know, football or basketball all your life and said, you know, I want to commit myself wholly to this as a profession. There's only going to be a handful of them out there that are making an awesome living as a professional basketball player. And as we know, unfortunately, the rest have to approach it more as a weekend warrior and take it on as a hobby. And I think writing can be very similar to that. So for me personally, uh, you know, when I got out of college and started as a financial advisor, I really abandoned that passion of writing and committed myself fully to the business. 
but it was always there. There was always that little spark in the back of my head. And coincidentally, as my time went on as a financial advisor and meeting with so many different folks from every walk of life, I started to absorb their stories. And I got a lot of very interesting stories, some good, some bad, some ugly. And ultimately, when I was probably 24 or so, I said, you know what? I really want to get back to writing in some way, shape, or form. I've always wanted to write a book, and tomorrow's never guaranteed, so what better time than now? And that's going to lead me to my first recommendation, uh, for lack of a better segue, of what to do when you're writing. And that would be to have a realistic expectation of why you're writing. Okay, so it's either a it's a passionate story that you want to share. Maybe that would be something in the fiction space. Uh, B, it's something you're doing for work or for branding or for school or some sort of professional advancement. Or C, you're doing it for money. And like I just mentioned a moment ago, I would say that the last one money should not be the driver. Uh, again, very, very difficult having dealt in this space a good bit and talked with a lot of other authors to become financially independent just through writing is slim to none. The, the J.K. Rowlings of the world, there's not many of them out there and it takes a lot of hard work, a lot of perseverance and also a lot of luck. So I would say that the main the two goals of, of why you're writing or why you say, you know what, I'm going to take up this very laborious long venture of trying to put together a book has to be a combination of those first two, which is going to be your passion and then also connecting it with your work. Maybe it doesn't need to be connected with your work, but then obviously you have to be a little more established in your career and okay having, you know, a few months or years where you're committed to something that's not income producing. Me, obviously, I had the benefit of saying, you know what, I have a passion for financial literacy. I have a lot of stories from my clients that I think would be entertaining and enlightening to the reader. And so I was able to fold those two together of writing somewhat of a memoir slash financial literacy book that was certainly able to help me with a lot of branding and marketing of my practice. So that's a little bit of my why, but everybody else, again, you have to define that on your own and you have to be realistic of those expectations. Because I have met many a folk that said, I want to pursue this. And then just about a chapter or two into the project, they get sidetracked and things start to go sideways. So that's the first thing. You got to really understand that part. And then you have to start saying, okay, what's this all going to be about? You've got to come up with a summary and a purpose behind this book. And why a reader is going to want to pick it up. So it has to be enjoyable to you for sure, but you have to go through every single page and even every single sentence and say, what could a reader on the other side think about this? And if it doesn't seem to jive with the large audience or that niche that you're targeting, it's probably not going to be well read. All right. So we have to start with that purpose and that summary of what this entire book is going to be about. From there, once we have kind of like a grand summary, which I think could be a page or two pages for any book, regardless of size, but at least that's like your mission statement that you can come back to months later or even years later and say, hey, this is why we're taking on this project. So we've got a summary, and now what we want to do is start to identify the parts or the chapters of that book, okay? 
So that's what's going to start to eventually create an outline. We can't just kind of willy-nilly throw all different thoughts together with this you know, very long stream of consciousness. We've got to piece it together so that it can be, again, well-read. And that's where I know I've thrown the word story around a good bit already, but ultimately that's what you're creating. Even if you're just kind of regurgitating information, if you're in the nonfiction space, you've got to tie it together in a, a way that it's not just going to be a textbook. Okay, I've met with a lot of people that are, are brilliant, uh, that have taken up writing, and I've read a lot of other books that have brilliant information within them, but they never really succeed if there isn't that way for someone just to pick up a book while they're on their chair on the beach and say, you know, I'm just going to crank out a couple chapters here and not even crank it out, but enjoy, you know, kind of flipping those pages as opposed to thinking that they've got homework in front of them. Okay. So that's something that you always want to think about in your summary is what is the flow of this? How am I telling a story? And then those parts and chapters can kind of be the uh, bumpers uh, that are going to kind of guide your, uh, your book from there. All right. So step one, again, guys, realistic expectation of the book and then have your summary. Step two is to create those parts or chapters that are then going to lead to an outline. The next part, once you've got, you know, at least a decent amount of chapters that you feel like you have content to write on, kind of like I do with this podcast every week, which that's the real task is always having content. The next thing you got to do is start taking notes. Okay. You can't just begin, you know, page one and type because you're going to start to kind of weave yourself. It's like you're walking through the woods without a compass and you're going to be all over the map. So again, we've got to have those chapters and then we got to have notes that are going to kind of narrow us in to our goal for each chapter. All right. So what I used when I did Millennial Millionaire and I started this just to give everybody some insight. I was 25 years old and the book came out when I was 28 years old. So it was about a three year project. And those first two years, what a lot of it was, was just ideas and brainstorming. And so those notes, what I would do is on my iPad, I downloaded the app called Dragon Dictation, or some people call it Dragon, however you pronounce that one. What it was was a free app that you could just talk into it, and then it would just type those notes on the app. And so ultimately, every time I'd go on my iPad and I'd click on that app, I had just a multitude of notes right in front of me. And I started to categorize those and say, hey, this, this note or this idea or this quote would fit very well with this chapter. And I was starting to kind of write uh, a large outline here, okay? Kind of probably no different than we did back in school, just maybe a little more intense at this point. And then moving forward, when I got an iPhone, now what I would do, and, and I do this now for content for future books, is I just go right on that Reminders app that should be on the home screen for everybody's iPhone. And whether it's 2 a.m. in the morning and I just kind of woke up with this, this idea that hit me, you know, from a dream or whatever, I'll open that up and I just quickly type down that note. And with so much going on in our lives every day, I think that we have to be able to have a readily available notepad to capture those ideas and then to be able to go back to, okay? If you're anything like me, I feel like I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. So if I wanna remember it, it's gotta be down on paper, which for me was either the reminders tab in the iPhone or most of it for my book was on drag on dictation, okay? And where did a lot of my notes come from? Again, if you haven't read Millennial Millionaire, a lot of that is, uh, you know, advice from, from prior resources or experts. 
And so what I would always do, I read quite a bit of nonfiction and I would go through them all with a highlighter in my pocket. And if I just came across a page and said, you know, wow, that's that's a great concept or I really like the way that they explained this idea or that quote right there was awesome, I would just highlight it. And that became just this literally a library or a bookcase uh, of just ideas that I could always kind of go back to. And so a lot of those ideas are folded into my book. Now, instead of doing the highlighter in the pocket, again, everything's going on the reminders tab on my iPhone. Okay. So that was the notes section that, you know, depending on what you're trying to do, that could take years and years to build up, you know, what you want to have as the content of your book. Or if you're doing fiction, that might just be more ideas and less research, but probably just as much work, I would guess. So now all of a sudden we go to the next step, all right? And that's going to be essentially filling in all these chapters with these notes. And ultimately, that's where we start to write, okay? So that's where we sit down. And in recommendations to this, again, I can only speak to what I've done. I would always go somewhere completely isolated where there was no outside distraction, all right? Lots of times that was a local library where I would, you know, put myself in the quiet room or in a cubby. Uh, or that could be just a corner of your house that you're away from the kids and, you know, can just totally hold yourself up for what I would always want was at least two hours time. Because I knew sometimes it would take me a while to warm up and get some momentum. And then once I caught that momentum and it was like the words were just flowing, I didn't want to immediately get distracted by, you know, the game on TV or something else or because I had an email coming in and boom, I lost it. So I think any writer can attest to, you know, writer's block does come up and also momentum can be a good thing or a bad thing. So when it's good, we can't interrupt it. And that's why I prefer to have two, three, even more hours available when I'm sitting down trying to produce a chapter. Okay. Everyone, you know, to each their own. I'm sure there's other authors out there done it differently, but you know, people I've talked to and me personally, that's what works best. So then what would we do from there? We kind of have a chapter where we've exhausted some of those relevant notes and I erase them as I go. So I know that they've already been input into my, my manuscript. And then what I would usually do is reread that chapter, you know, think about it and then maybe reread it the next day. Cause obviously your thoughts change over time on, you know, what's good or bad. And, uh, that would kind of launch my next writing session. Okay. So you never want to just kind of two days later, get back to your desk start, you know, typing away and it doesn't really jive with the two chapters you wrote last week. So you always want to kind of reread what you just did and then work right into your next writing session. Again, that's if we don't do that, we're going to lose the flow of the book. And that's what can be very frustrating is when we sit down, you know, a month later to read, you know, a certain section and we're like, wow, there's all that info I wanted. But like we're, we're again, we're walking all over the place. And it doesn't make it enjoyable to sit down and read. Okay. So then what we do, we complete all those chapters. Uh, sometimes we have to move chapters around. I did that quite a bit because I wanted to build like a chronological order to my story. And so that, you know, involved moving some chapters, reworking some intros and some conclusions so that, again, there was a nice flow to the book. Then once all those chapters are done, what I did, and I think a lot of people do, is you come up with your title. Sometimes it's very tough to come up with a title up front where you have what they call a working title. And then once we actually got all this content and all our ideas down on paper, 
we're like, wow, there's a better way to phrase this or to title this. And I think that's when the, the best ideas will come up. Okay. So usually the last section, the last thing that you do is come up with a title. Uh, and sometimes it's maybe just a key point in the book or maybe a phrase that your character said or something. You know, I, I like that a lot when there's a title, you don't totally know what it is. And then as you start to read the book, maybe you're 46 pages in and you catch yourself reading the title and then you go reread that page and it kind of sticks out a little bit more to you. Um, so there's different ways to kind of play with the title and uh, hide it in the book in a way that then creates a lot of, uh, you know, kind of emotion for the reader where they get a little more attached to that part of it, all right? a little more emphasis there. So with the title, you know, you want it to give a clue, but not too much. For me, I had a lot of really boring titles um, about money, financial success, being young, young money, you know, all different ideas. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, I, I saw that there was just such an attraction to the idea of millennials in this generation. Uh, millionaire, you know, whether that's a lot of money or a little bit of money in today's day and age, still has a powerful connotation to it. And it has a nice ring, millennial millionaire. Um, maybe you're saying that's stupid. <laughs> I don't know what you think of it. But when I exposed that to a lot of people and gave them options, they all said, that's the title right there. It just it comes off the tongue so easy. Millennial millionaire. That's it. So that was my title that I put together on my manuscript. And I began working with a literary agent, okay, which you might want to go down this road. You could search them on Google. You can find them on LinkedIn. Um, they can certainly give you a lot of insight to the industry. And the lady I was working with said, that's a great title. But in the finance and the self-improvement space, we need to be more direct. And so she said, you know, find a commonality against uh, amongst the readership that you want to target. I knew it was in my case going to be young professionals, millennials, particularly those in college, slightly out of college, just trying to learn about money and economics and how it affects them. And so that's where we came up with a guide to become a millionaire by 30, uh, which I was resistant to because if you know me, you know the book, or you know my financial planning process, it's certainly not about quick money. It's more about safe and efficient money. And that's where I felt like that title could be a bit misleading, but it lured the reader in and then they could make judgments after actually opening the book. And that's what created Millennial Millionaire with kind of a niche subtitle, A Guide to Become a Millionaire by 30. All right. So that was the genesis of that. Then you've got to edit the book. Okay, so now we're kind of moving along. Maybe this, if you're you know, a workaholic and you don't sleep, maybe you did it in six months. For me, it took about two and a half years. Again, on and off again with work and running a business and running a marathon, training for an Ironman and a thousand other things that I was trying to do. Um, so again, we're not professional authors. At least probably 98% of us aren't. So you've got to kind of fit this in and schedule it just like you would your workout. And as eventually I hit a lot of momentum in those last six months, I built my manuscript and then you have to edit it. All right, first was just easy spell check, another read through just by myself. Then it was sharing it with some friends or family, people that you trust and think can give you some insight, you know, hopefully not shoot it down, but teach you a few things. And then I hired a professional editor as well. I didn't find a ton of value in that. Certainly there were some, you know, grammatical things they were able to catch, 
But my biggest takeaway probably was a totally outside opinion of some things that could seem very funny or others that might seem a bit abrasive. And also, it allowed me to really see these kind of human tics or habits that we all have uh, where we find ourselves repeating ourselves. We have a phrase that we like. We have a word that we use, just like we do in conversation. And all of a sudden, you find that, you know, 35 times kind of hidden in, you know, one chapter, whether it's, you know, you're beginning too many sentences with nevertheless, or you're just referring to something, you know, as obvious, you know, five times rather than using different synonyms or different ways to communicate what you want. And I think when we all read something, if we notice that five or six times, maybe we think we're a little OCD or a little anal, but I think everybody has that where it catches you on the fifth time. And now it's almost distracting and you're looking for that and you're not absorbing the story like you should because there's little, you know, speed bumps in the way. So I was able to correct a number of those, which I was certainly grateful for. So now it's edited. For me, again, having to do with my work, had to go through compliance. That was about another five month process of you know, nitpicking every single page, every single sentence. Uh, a lot of you out there that have a passion and are, want to write about it probably will not encounter that, but maybe you will. And then the probably the very last thing, once I said, you know, here's my stack of 140 pages, it's a book, was to actually come up with the cover. Okay. And we'll talk about a few ways this could be influenced or not. But for me, where I had kind of total autonomy, at this point, I was so burnt out from the book. And I was also so excited to get it out there that I may or may not have given this as much effort as it deserved. And for any of you out there, I actually have a copy here in my office. Uh, anybody that's read the book, you'll notice that it's probably the most boring cover of any book you've ever seen. That was done with some intent. Um, I was actually just had finished reading A Devil in the White City, and they talked about, you know, in the World's Fair, I believe it was uh, in Chicago, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they were on a time crunch. They wanted to make a very nice, neat representation of this huge uh, neighborhood that they had built and all these grandiose buildings. They said, we don't have time to get fancy with it. Let's whitewash the whole thing. And it became the White City, and it was a huge architectural hit that people were blown away by, just kind of the purity and the cleanness of it. And so that's where I really embraced that less is more idea. And I thought to myself, again, not to get too much into my own story, but you know, with the book, I said, hey, we'll just make the whole cover white. There's really none other out there that I could think like that. And uh, hopefully it'll be intriguing and people will pick it up. And I think it was. When I came out with it, a lot of people looked at it and said, what the heck is this? And I said, man, did I, I screw that one up. And then as time went on and I started you know, doing different interviews and speaking at different places, uh, everybody had their own interpretation of the book. When someone said, well, what's up with the cover? I remember I had some people said, I love what you did here. I know you're going for that like iPhone look, just looking like kind of that clean, all white iPhone look. And I, that never even crossed my mind. But I was like, yeah, that's, I like that. And we'll take it and we'll run with it. It's another little conspiracy theory. Then I had uh, one of my colleagues said, yeah, you know, in finance, they're always releasing these white papers. And, you know, that's like a formal paper that is going to be used across the industry. You know, now we have the white book as it's like the ultimate resource. 
That was excellent. I took that and I ran with it. So there's just all these different ideas. And I think that's where, again, just like listeners are doing to the show, your readers are going to do that to your book. And they'll all have their own interpretation, which is pretty exciting. So if I had to do it again, would I change the cover? Maybe yes, maybe no. But it is what it is, and it's taken on its own life. The next thing, like I said, that could influence the said cover is going to be your publisher. Okay. So when I was working with a literary agent, they wanted to get this book commercially published. Uh, that can be more lucrative to the author for sure. But as we started to go out and kind of go through that whole exercise, what I found time and time again is they were more or less hijacking my book and my platform and trying to use it uh, to create their own story or their own narrative and just kind of attach it to my book. Um, which ultimately meant, you know, cutting out chapters, adding other chapters, changing the way things were said, and ultimately taking my voice away in an instance, or as an example. So that's where when we did that for quite a long time, I said, you know what, I want to get this book out there. It is what it is. And I kind of jumped ship with the literary agent and said, I'm going to self-publish. And most books that you find nowadays will be self-published. Okay, it's just like your major TV networks have kind of taken a step back to streaming TV and to YouTube channels and to Netflix and all these other things that are popping up, you know, that have given smaller producers uh, the opportunity to kind of enter the game and get a seat at the table. It's no different in the writing space. And that's why you see so much self-publishing. So as I did my research, what did I do? I get this question constantly of where do you publish a book? Tell me how to do it. I went through CreateSpace, which was owned by Amazon. I said Amazon's the biggest book distributor. Why not start there? And so CreateSpace kind of evolved into a, uh, I believe it's called Amazon Direct Publishing. All right. But it's all kind of the same idea. They transferred my book to the, the new publisher, that new name. Um, but what CreateSpace allowed me to do was it was very user-friendly, upload the book, upload the cover, <clears throat> excuse me, put everything together nice and neat, and then kind of plug and play, and then boom, you hit, hit the ground running. And where back in the day, people used to have to self-publish and then carry 5,000 books in their garage of inventory and more or less sell it themselves, with CreateSpace and through Amazon, I was allowed exposure to pretty much every major distribution channel that's out there. Right. So they put the book out there live. And now what happens is it gets sold, obviously, through Amazon. It gets sold through Kindle. It's also put out through Borders and Barnes and Noble and Target and, you know, uh, independent booksellers and pretty much everywhere you could think that you would buy a book. It came there via CreateSpace. And just to give you a kind of a peek behind the curtain, I, I priced my book at the lowest level allowed by CreateSpace with the intent of I'm not making money here. If you remember from the get-go of the reason behind the book, money had nothing to do with my reason. It was more to get out my passion and teach and also do a little branding while we're at it. So I could have cared less what I made on it. So I charged $8 per paperback. So for a physical book on Amazon, still is to this day, just 8 bucks if you want to go buy it. And then the ebook or the Kindle version was just $4. So Amazon gives me $2 for every physical copy or paperback that's sold and $1 for every ebook that's sold. 
Now, if it goes through a different distribution channel, let's say Barnes & Noble, then Barnes & Noble sells it sometimes for a markup. And then Amazon takes their clip. And then I end up getting, you know, for a paperback, actually a little less than $2. So I get the largest yield through buyers direct at Amazon. Um, but it's available everywhere else. I just get a, a smaller bit as Amazon takes their haircut. And then Barnes & Noble, for instance, takes theirs. So that's what you'll find a lot in the self-publishing space, just to give you a little insight there, okay? Last but not least, I know we could talk forever about this idea, guys, but what I found very early on is you could be Albert Einstein, you could be the, the greatest person in your field and have the greatest ideas and even go so far as to write the perfect book. But until somebody knows about it, it is not going to be purchased, it's not going to go anywhere. Just like all the marketing I do for the podcast now, right? I could have this beautiful voice, this great information to share, and nobody's going to know until they know, all right? So it's the same idea with a book is you need to build a platform, you need to build a fan base, and you've got to get the word out there so that it can build some of that momentum, all right? From day one, I just kind of told everyone, hey, I have a book out there. Some people bought it, lots of people didn't. And then it just kind of sat there. All right. Nobody else is going to know except for maybe a little bit of word of mouth. So then you have social media in today's day and age all right, where we share that. You know, I'd share a lot of snippets of different chapters and so forth with a lot of different groups or clubs or Facebook groups or, you know, LinkedIn pages or you name it and get it out there. And then some people would, you know, click on it and eventually become a buyer. Then what I started to do is I would write a lot. Again, this was uh, in the personal finance space. So now I have articles out there everywhere from CNBC to Forbes to Entrepreneur, you name it. And I would always put my book, you know, somewhere in that article or as my byline, you know, when they would look at who the author was. I remember I did my first article with CNBC and then I went on to create space onto my, uh, you know, bookshelf, they call it. And I clicked on it to see my production and my sales of the book. And just in that day, my sales shot through the roof on that one day. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that article I did with CNBC got out there a lot, identified as the author of Millennial Millionaire. And of course, some people decided to learn more by going and buying the book. Um, so a lot of different ways to market yourself. But that platform, I think, is probably 95% of the battle. And unfortunately, we're all passionate about writing, if you're still probably listening, that 5% of creating a great book is only 5%. All right, the other 95% is getting it out there. That's why when, uh, I don't remember who the publisher is, but when they went to have Tom Brady write a book, TB12 method, no writing experience or anything there, and they gave him $5 million up front just to start writing a book which he made obviously about health and wellness and nutrition, physical fitness. They had no idea if this book was going to be great or if it was going to be terrible. But they said, this is Tom Brady. He has a platform. He's got a fan base. We know we can just throw his head on the book and it's going to tomorrow sell 2 million copies. All right. And you'll find that with all the other kind of big uh, kind of talking heads or people that just have a following and publishers know they're a safe bet. The book might suck. But it's just going to sell because people want to know more about that guy or that gal. So hopefully this was helpful. I know I've, I've run through quite a bit of information here. But I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, how do you write a book? 
So I'm not the only one out there with that passion. Maybe you want to write a book. Maybe it's a short story. Uh, maybe it's something, you know, a poem or whatever it may be. But I think a lot of the ideas I've given here, they're what I did personally. And some worked, some didn't. But hopefully you can kind of uh, take a little bit of what you heard today and apply it to your own passion. And maybe you'll find yourself an author someday. <clears throat> so thank you so much for listening in, guys. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. You've listened to another episode of the Kaderna Podcast. And as a little bonus, if you're following live, today is Friday the 13th, 2019. And we have a promotion going on just for today only with Amazon, in which Millennial Millionaire will be available for free as an ebook. You go to Amazon, search Millennial Millionaire. Again, I know a lot of other folks have come out with the same title since I wrote mine. I was the first. So it's Millennial Millionaire by Brian Kaderna, A Guide to Become a Millionaire by 30. Came out in 2016, a few years old now, but today and today only, it is free. Go on Amazon, Amazon, download it for free, enjoy the book, let me know what you think about it, and let me know what you think about you know all this uh, instruction I gave today and kind of how it parlayed into my book, and happy to talk more and field more questions in the future. Thanks so much, guys. This is Brian Kaderna with the Kaderna Podcast. We'll see you next week. The Kaderna Podcast is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not provide tax, legal, social security, student loan, mortgage, or real estate advice. Listeners should contact their own tax, accounting, or legal advisors or the social security department in this matter. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PASS, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Securities, products, services, and advisory services are offered through PASS, a registered broker-dealer, and investment advisor, 973-244-4420. Financial representative, the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Passes an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Kaderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance, LLC, are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Pass or Guardian. Kaderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance, LLC, a general agency of Guardian. Passes a member of FINRA, SIPC. California Insurance License Number, OK04194. Content of the Kaderna Podcast is copyright of Brian M. Kaderna, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the content in any form is prohibited without prior permission from the Kaderna Podcast. The views and opinions expressed herein may not be those of Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Guardian does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the information or opinions presented herein. Any third-party materials referenced cannot be endorsed or verified by Guardian and are used as the opinion of the author. Guardian, its subsidiaries of affiliates, do not provide or issue or advise for mortgages. This material contains the current opinions of the author, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice.